Well, good morning. It's lovely to be with you again, and it's a great privilege for me not only to um, be able to unpack God's Word for us today, but I get to take off my mask. Uh, It's kind of nice. Well, uh, we are in this book of Ephesians, and it's a little easy to get lost in the book of Ephesians, especially when we get to chapter 3. There's so much going on that we're not going to try and cover it here, but we're going to just zoom in on one really important idea, I think, that is key in the text. But I think it's good to begin with the big picture. Uh, So you'll remember that at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul made the powerful declaration that the Ephesians, who are mostly non-Jewish, Roman-thinking, Greek-speaking people, these Ephesians are no longer strangers to God's love. They're no longer second-class citizens. They are fellow citizens with God's people. And because of this, this, this new reality for the Ephesians, because this is so great, it is such a huge leap from the wilderness into the heartland, if you like, Paul prays that they will be strengthened by God's Spirit so that they can take it all in. So that's really what's happening in Ephesians chapter 3. In light of chapter 2, Paul simply prays that the Ephesians will get it. That's really what it's about. Now, if you look with me, uh, hopefully you've got access to a Bible where you are. And verse 1, Paul begins this chapter 3 for this reason. That is because the Ephesians are now fully included in the people of God For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, now hold that thought. Because, uh, scan down now to verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And then Paul prays for the Ephesians in verses 14 through 21, praying that they'll be able to take in all that God has done for them by being included in the people of God. So chapter 3 gets a little complicated because after verse 1, there's this parenthesis that runs from verses 2 through 13. And only then does he pick it up again in verse 14 uh, by repeating, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, and then he launches into the prayer. And that parenthesis section in in verses 2 through 13 has some very important explanations about how Paul knows what he knows about the gospel, about how non-Jewish people like the Ephesians are now fully included in God's people and about all that God is doing in the church. As I say, very important details. Together they build the backstory behind this prayer. But for now, we're just going to focus on the prayer. And in fact, we're just going to focus on one part of the prayer, very specific. You see, Paul's prayer in verses 14 through 19 is a prayer that the Ephesians will be strengthened in both faith and love. But we're not going to bite off more that we can chew. We're going to focus on just the second half of verse 17 through to verse 19. So hopefully you've got a Bible there. You can read along with me, starting at the second half of verse 17. Paul prays, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide... And long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure 
of the fullness of God. So you can see that, in short, this prayer asks that the Ephesians will be strengthened in love. This strengthening happens by God's power as we grasp the full extent of his love. That's the bit I want to focus on today. Because we could all use a little strengthening in love right at this time, don't you think? Thinking about our community today, thinking about us, I get the sense that there's a creeping sense of anxiety kind of rising. I look out of this congregation who look lovely in masks, but it's weird, right? Um, the, the vast majority of us are not meeting in church today, but we're actually meeting in home church huddles uh, in various places. That's fantastic. Hello to you guys there. Others, though, are not connected to a little house church, and so they're kind of like a satellite even further out, and they're on their own. This is, these are strange days, and things are feeling a little stranger as we navigate this pandemic. The mental health of our community is a little more fragile than we would like. Many are feeling vulnerable, and I think for a variety of good reasons. And very wonderfully, the answer to all of this is contained in this prayer. Right here. It's not a prayer written for our situation. This is a prayer, though, that seems perfect for us to copy and to use today. And as we pray this prayer for one another, God will strengthen us. He will enrich us. He will grow us so that we are ready for whatever comes our way. Resilience, fortitude, security and strength all begin with love, appreciating just how much we are loved. And so Paul begins his prayer, and he notes that the Ephesians, as we are too, are rooted and established in love. Not love generally, but the love of God our Father is the beginning point. God's love is like the soil out of which his people grow and flourish. It's the source of all of our nutrients. Uh, Whatever's in the soil soon flows through the roots into the main lifeblood of the plant and goes all the way out to the branches and the leaves and the fruit. And, And not only are we rooted and nourished from God's love, we are established firmly by it. When the wind blows, when adverse conditions come, it is actually the quality of the soil that holds the tree fast. Have you ever noticed when a tree blows over, very often the entire root ball is exposed? The whole tree comes crashing down. It wasn't the tree that failed, it was the soil the soil that the roots were trying to hold on to. And so for the Christian, our stability and resilience is rooted and established in God's love. And that is soil that will never fail. Already in Ephesians, Paul has told us that our being chosen as God's children is the product of, of his love. So Ephesians 1 verse 5, he says, In love 
he predestined us for adoption to sonship. There's a lot going on there, right? But here it is. Our beginning point as Christian people is anchored and nourished by God's love. Because of his love, entirely infused with God's love, we begin. We grow. We are fed. And we are held firm by the love of God. And yet, for the most part, we're kind of unaware of that, right? Which is why Paul prays for the Ephesians, that they will have the ability to grasp this truth. And so when he gets to verse 18, he prays that the Ephesians and us, by extension, that we will have power to fully grasp, to grasp the full extent of God's love for us in Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. A couple of things to notice as we ponder the text together. Paul prays for our grasp and our knowing of God's love. The prayer that we'll get it, that this will become real and living, that in some sense we'll be able to take hold of the reality of God's love. We'll never completely understand everything about God's love and its operation. It truly does surpass our capacity for understanding. As Paul prays in verse 19, yet we can know it. You see, this knowing that Paul speaks of is a relational knowing. It's personal engagement, that experiential relationship of knowing, a little bit like Joey the dog a couple of weeks ago. You may remember my favorite dog, um, showing you how to know a plastic toy. This makes sense of the apparent oxymoron that's in the text there, right? Knowing God's love that surpasses knowledge. How does that work, right? That seems weird. It's not an oxymoron because Paul is praying not for comprehension, but for apprehension. He prays that we will grasp God's love that we will truly know it in our experience, even though there are aspects of God's love that are beyond human comprehension. So I take it that Paul is praying this because it is actually in grasping and experiencing God's love for us that change happens. In fact, it changes everything. God loves us. God loves you with such passion and power, such intensity and pride that he will never let you go. He will always sustain you, even when it seems like everything's going wrong. More about that in a moment. But first of all, I, I want to ponder the dimensions of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. Let's imagine what it would look like for us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. What would that look like for us? How wide is the love of Christ? That he came for all humanity to show the love of God for each and every one of us, for Jew and Gentile, For people of every nation and tribe and language and culture, all lives matter. 
to God. Male and female, rich and actually especially the poor, for the wise and especially the ordinary. The love of Christ is so wide that there is place for everyone at his table. All are invited and embraced by his love. How long is the love of Christ? It is a love that began before time began. His love endured through long centuries of Genesis and the entire Old Testament as his people wandered through the wildernesses, worshipped other gods, returned in repentance, sacrificed, praised God, without ever fully getting it, right? God's love endured long and winding roads throughout the entire Old Testament, determined to redeem and to rescue his people, and in fact all people, at the cross. And God's love is not exhausted yet. The length of God's love continues to this present day. He has loved you every day of your life so far. And when you wake up tomorrow, he will still love you. And he will love you for every day of your life. And when your life on this earth is done, God's love for you will continue unchanged. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. How long is God's love for us? I think it's an infinite loop without beginning or end. How high is God's love for us? I would love to say that God loves us to the moon and back. But that would be to radically reduce the reality that Paul is referring to here. You see, elsewhere in Ephesians, this spatial language of up or high actually refers to Jesus in his exaltation to the heavenly realms. Far above all pseudo-deities, pretended powers and authorities in the Ephesian cosmology, the Lord Jesus Christ is seated and reigning supreme. Christ's love now elevated to the supreme glory of the Father's right hand. That love continues for all people, even though they're battling with the daily challenges of earthly life. Christ's love is high above any challenges, high above any interference, so that it cannot be reduced or weakened or overcome. Christ's love for us is secure in glory, high above all others, untouchable and irreducible. How deep is Christ's love? He loves us to the depths of his experience of hell and the cross. He loves us to the depths of our sin. As bad and as black as it gets, the Lord Jesus Christ did not think it was beneath him to take on the nature of a servant, made in human likeness, humbling himself to death, even death on a cross. That is the depth of his love for us. When John tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, that love 
which motivated God the Father and God the Son in their mission of salvation, that love went to whatever depths were required, no matter how dark, how depressing, or how deadly. So there is a metaphorical sense in which Christ's love reached into the lowest depths of hell to save sinners for God. That's how deep his love is. Lord, grant that somehow we will grasp how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us. You see, it's the dimensions and the nature of God's love that changes everything for us right now. Since God loves us like this, our life is worth living. It is of inestimable value because of the love of God. Knowing that we are loved by God gives meaning and significance to our ordinary lives in ways that maybe we've not yet imagined. Quite wonderfully, the final clause of Paul's prayer in verse 19 actually expects an answer to this prayer that is far beyond anything we could have expected. Have a look at it with me. Paul prays that knowing God's love would result in the Ephesians, and I take it and us too, being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me try and put that a little more plainly. When we truly know the full extent of God's love for us, we will be entirely fulfilled. Sometimes, you know, we just want to feel happy. We just want to experience a sense of value, satisfaction, the assurance that, you know, what we do and who we are means something, that, that we're going to be okay. That's an entirely human want, to be content and to be satisfied. We get that. What Paul is praying here for the Ephesians is that they are, their experience of God's love will be that satisfaction, that fulfillment, but way more than they could ever have imagined. How much fulfilling goodness do you think is in God? An infinite amount? Who knows? Whatever measure of fulfillment exists in God, Paul prays, that it will all be ours in Christ as we grasp, as we know the extent of his love for us. And so it is. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of how well or, or not this year is going for you so far, regardless of whatever happens in the future, you are loved by God without limit. His unending passion for you stretches out in every dimension. And so we pray, along with Paul, that God would strengthen us to grasp that we have been loved from the beginning, that we are loved now, that we are loved to the full extent of Christ's love in every dimension so that we are fulfilled 
in every way, up to the full measure of God. Extraordinary. We began this chapter 3 recognizing that the Ephesian Christians had this entirely new reality that they needed to take in. They're no longer second-class citizens. They're no longer outsiders when it comes to the things of God. They are now full members of God's people. They are united with Christ in him. They are raised with him to fully inherit all of the promises of God. And In response to this radical shift in situation, Paul prays, God will strengthen the Ephesians so that they can grasp and know God's love in all of its dimensions. That's what they needed in order to actually walk in their new reality, to live out their calling as Christians, that's what they needed. I think we're in a similar situation, 21st century Australia. We need to walk in a new reality. Excuse me while I cough, it's an asthma cough, okay? <coughs> I hope the sound desk warning got through for the mute. We've got a new reality that we need to walk in. It's not a new social reality or a pandemic reality. This is a spiritual reality where we have been called into Christ. And in order to do that, we want to grasp to know the full extent of Christ's love for us. A few moments ago, we did a little exercise where we explored the dimensions of God's love, right? the breadth, length, height, and depth. That's the sort of exercise that changes our hearts, that moves God's word from our head to our heart. Just as I urged you a couple of weeks ago to adapt Paul's prayer in chapter 1 and to use it yourself, I encourage you to pray this prayer also for one another such that we will be filled with all of the fullness of God. That's how we grow and change. I want you to try it. I'm going to begin by praying it for us now and then we'll conclude. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the most amazing reality, true of us as it was for the Ephesians, that we are included in you. We are your people, raised with you in glory. Grant that we might know your love in all its dimensions and so be fulfilled the measure of the fullness of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, Stuart, thank you for that wonderful sermon. And uh, understandably, uh, the phone has slid up with a few questions. And so uh, can I ask you these questions? Uh, firstly, how do we pursue a grasp of and experience of God's love when we feel far from it. It is true, isn't it, that we do feel far from God at times. And I think um, there are things to know and there are things to do that will change our experience, change our reality. One of the first things to know is that we are not our emotions. Okay, So we will feel all kinds of things, sometimes good, sometimes bad, but just because we feel, that's not who we are, that's just what we're feeling. Okay, So that you may feel far from God doesn't mean that you are far from God, it's just what you're feeling today. That feeling might be a result of all, all kinds of things. So we kind of need to know that just because we feel far from God, 
We're not actually far from God. In fact, he is closer than we know. Um, And sometimes we just need to become aware of that. So that's kind of something to know. Um, But there are sometimes things to do that actually help us as we ponder our relationship with God. And when we did that little exercise with God's love and just say, well, let's just imagine that. What would it look like for me to actually know the, the length and breadth and height and depth of God's love? That's just a little mental exercise that I actually pray through. Um, I actually pray through those things, thanking God for those things. And for me, um, that along with, with um, many other um, kind of behavioral habits that I put together, so like just things that I do now by habit, but I've built it into my life, a, a daily practice of prayer, a daily practice of pondering the world through the lens of Scripture. Um, those kinds of things, as you repeat them, and as you make them part of your life, actually change your experience and you begin to recognize, hang on a minute, God is not far away. He's in every moment. Uh, I'm now becoming aware of something new that I'd not previously. So um, in answer to that first question, I, I think there are things to know, but there are also things we can do in our life of prayer, in our walking with God day by day, that actually change who we are and how we feel about stuff. Fantastic advice, Stu. Um... There's a lot of questions coming in, so I'm going to have to choose a few. But um, this this one is a good one. How do we receive God's strengthening without gathering together? Um, They feel linked at times. Absolutely, they do. Um, How do we receive God's strengthening when we're kind of a little bit isolated and looking at each other behind masks, uh, all those kinds of things? Um, Once again, I think that there is the reality and there is the perception. Now, the reality is, is that God's strengthening comes to us by the Holy Spirit. It is a work of God's Spirit that strengthens our hearts. Uh, and so we recognize that as true. Uh, we, there are things that we do individually, which I just mentioned, but I do think we still need to gather in some way. There are safe ways, socially distant ways to do that. And so um, for the guys who are probably at home now with tea and toast, uh, with a small group of friends, you already know this. Uh, that the gathering together in smaller groups, which are safe groups, right, that's something that I would encourage everybody to figure out how to do. Uh, there are very good ways. I, I, have, um, I have two small groups that I'm a part of, and um, one small group, we have never met face-to-face. Everything has always been done by Zoom. We started in, in March. And it's wonderful. We, we, we love it. So that sense of Christian fellowship does continue and is real, even though mediated by you know, the interweb thing. So I would say, yes, you need to find creative ways to continue to meet so that we are uh, strengthened by the Spirit as we do gather, um, but we need to be creative. Yeah, that's great. Thank God for technology in these times. Um, probably just time for one more, Stu. It's, it's, it's a tricky one, but um, I'll ask it. Um, if it, I'll probably paraphrase it a bit, but it, it basically, if um, we're hearing that there are chosen ones um, and that some are chosen, um, if, if God's love is so great, uh, how come some are chosen? Bless you, people of St Andrews, because um, I have that bit in my sermon which I chose to leave out because we're trying to aim for a shorter sermon. So let me just turn to that bit of the sermon. And I have a couple of notes that I would like to respond to with that. Um, here's the thing, and we actually saw it in the text this morning, right? 
this idea of election, the doctrine of election, or that, that God chooses some people before all time to be his, right? And God's love for all people, they are not opposing forces. But they're actually the same thing. Did you notice in Ephesians 1 verse 5, in love God predestined us. Okay, So God's love and predestination are actually working together. Um, quite, uh, quite wonderfully, later this year, I'm told that Mel is going to preach a series on the love of God. This is going to be part of it, right? Um, Mel nods over there. Good. I'm glad I set you up for that one nicely, Mel. So the scriptures show us a love from God that chooses to um, bring people into fellowship with him. And we actually see in 1 John 2 that the, the, the death of Christ for sin is sufficient for all the sin ever in the entire world. But, and here's the thing that we find quite difficult, at the very same time as God's love is extended for all people everywhere, all time, there are some people who choose not only to ignore, but to reject God's love for them. And of their own free will and within their conscious mind, without any kind of sense of coercion, they choose for themselves a place apart from God. And so while God's love is offered to them, they, of their own free choosing, decide that they don't want it. They tragically refuse it. And so God's choosing of us, or not, and our human choices around God, they're actually like two parallel train tracks. They actually run congruently all the way together, freely, but the scripture teaches us that the first train track that got put down was actually God's choosing of us. But of our own free will, we still get to choose. We are unaware at that time of what God has done prior around our choosing. That's a really tough question, isn't it? It's a really hard thing to get a hold of. And just as we mentioned that we won't ever fully comprehend the nature and the workings of God's love, God's love in election is perhaps something that for now my human brain won't be able to hold together with all that Scripture says. So what I'm trying to do is affirm what Scripture does say and say, this is how God shows me his love. I don't fully get it, but I kind of get it. And perhaps there's a growth in that as we mature. Thanks, G. That is really helpful. And I'm sorry we couldn't answer everyone's questions. Uh, Perhaps if uh, you'd like to, you could reach out to Stu during the week by email or phone and perhaps uh, he could give you some answers there.